Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Free Reads. This time, we'll be dipping into the vault for a golden oldie from June of 2005, which was when The Edge of Nowhere was first published in Asimov's science fiction magazine. This story was reprinted in both the year's best science fiction, edited by David Hartwell and Catherine Kramer, and in science fiction, the best of the year, edited by Rich Horton. I'm bringing it back in honor of the new anthology due shortly from the dynamic editorial duo of James Patrick Kelly and John Kessel. Our latest, Digital Rapture, the Singularity Anthology, will be hitting the hard shelves of brick-and-mortar bookstores and the soft pages of online stores any minute now. As one of the editors of an anthology about the singularity, and, by the way, we'll talk more about the singularity in an upcoming episode, I was sorely tempted to buy this, my favorite of my own singularity stories, from myself. Yes, buy it. No, you can't. No, come on, you can't. Please, please, please. No, no. Uh-uh. No. Can't you? No. Please. No. Sure. Yep. But I couldn't convince myself to do it. The compromise was to give it new life here on Free Reads. And so, get comfortable, nibble on your favorite flavor of psychotropic cookie, and get ready for a tour of The Edge of Nowhere. The Edge of Nowhere Lorraine Carraway scowled at the dogs through the plate glass window of the Casa de la Laughing Cookie and Very Memorial Library. The dogs squatted in a row next to the book drop, acting as if they owned the sidewalk. There were three of them, grand in their bowler hats and paisley vests and bow ties. They were like no dogs Rain had ever seen before. One of them wore a gold watch on its collar, which was pure affectation, since it couldn't possibly see the dial. Bad dogs. She was certain of that. Recreated out of rust and dead tires and old Coke bottles by the Cognosphere, and then dispatched to nowhere to spy on the real people and cause at least three different kinds of trouble. Will turned a page in his loose-leaf binder. They still out there? He glanced up at her, his number two pencil poised over a blank page. What the hell do they think they're doing? Rain made brushing motions just under the windowsill. Go away! Scram! Scram, said Will. Is scram a word? Will had been writing the great American novel ever since he had stopped trying to prove Fermat's last theorem. Before that, he had been in training to run a sub-four-minute mile. She'd had to explain to him that the mile was a measure of distance, like the cubit or the fathom or the meter. Rain had several books about ancient measurement in the very memorial library, and Will had borrowed them to lay out a course to practice on. They'd known each other since a week after Will had been revived, but they had first had sex during his running phase. It turned out that runners made wonderfully energetic lovers, especially 19-year-old runners. She had been there to time his personal best at 4, 21, 15, but now he was up to Chapter 11 of The Great American Novel. 
He had taken on the project after Rain assured him that the Great American Novel had yet to be written. These days, not many people were going for it. Where do dogs like that come from, anyway? Will said. Don't be asking her about dogs, called Fast Eddie from his cookie lab. Rain hates all dogs, don't you know? Rain was going to deny this, but the Casa de la Laughing Cookie was Fast Eddie's shop. Since he let her keep her books in the broken meat locker and call the library, she tried not to give him any headaches. Of course, Rain didn't hate dogs. It was just that she had no use for their smell, their turds hidden in lawns, or the way they tried to lick her face with their slimy tongues. Of course, this bunch weren't the same as the dim-witted dogs people kept around town. They were obviously creatures of the cognosphere. She expected that they would be better behaved. Will came up beside her. I'm thinking the liver-colored one with the ears is a bloodhound. He nodded at the big dog with the watch on its collar. The others look like terriers of some sort. They've got a pointer's skull and the short, powerful legs. Feisty dogs. Killers, actually. Fox hunters used to carry terriers in their saddlebags, and when the hounds cornered the poor fox, they'd release the terriers to finish him off. How do you know that? said Rain, suddenly afraid that there would be dogs in the great American novel. Read it somewhere? he considered. Jane Austen? Uh, Evelyn Waugh? At that moment, the bloodhound raised his snout. Rain got the impression that he was sniffing the air. He stared through the front window at... Who? Rain? Will? Some signal passed between the dogs then, because they all stood. One of the terriers reared up on its hind legs and batted the door handle. Rain ducked from Will's side and retreated to the safety of her desk. I'm betting they're not here to buy happy crumbs. Will scratched behind his ear with the rubber eraser on his pencil. The terrier released the latch on the second try, and the door swung open. The shop bell tinkled as the dogs entered. Fast Eddie slid out of the lab, wiping his hands on his apron. He stood behind the display case that held several dozen lead crystal trays filled with artfully broken psychotropic cookies. Rain hoped that he'd come to lend her moral support and not just to see if the dogs wanted his baked goods. The terriers deployed themselves just inside the door, as if to prevent anyone from leaving. Will stooped to shake the paw of the dog nearest him. "'Are you Airedale or Welsh?' he said. "'Never mind that now,' said the dog. The bloodhound padded up to Rain, who was glad to have the desk between them. She got the distinct whiff of damp fur and dried spit as he approached. She wrinkled her nose and wondered what she smelled like to him. The bloodhound heaved his bulk onto his hind legs. He took two shaky steps toward her, and then his forepaws were scrabbling against the top of her desk. The dark pads unfolded into thick, clawed fingers. Instead of a dew-claw, the thing had a thumb. "'I'm looking for a book,' said the dog. His bowler hat tipped precariously. My name is Baskerville. Rain frowned at the scratches the dog's claws made on her desktop. Well, you've got that wrong. She leaned back in her chair to get away from its breath. Baskerville wasn't the hound's name. Sir Charles Baskerville was Sherlock Holmes's client. 
You may recall that Sir Charles was frightened to death by the hound well before Dr. Mortimer called on Holmes, Baskerville said. He had a voice like a kettle drum. The client was actually his nephew, Sir Henry. Rain chewed at her lower lip. Dogs don't wear hats. She didn't care to be contradicted by some clumsy artifact of the cognosphere or ties. Are you even real? Rather a rude question, don't you think? Baskerville regarded her with sorrowful, melted chocolate eyes. Are you real? The dog was right. This was the one thing the residents of nowhere never asked. I don't have your damn book. Rain opened the top drawer of the desk, the one where she threw all her loose junk. It was a way to keep the dog from seeing her embarrassment. How do you know? He said reasonably. I haven't told you what it is. She sorted through the contents of the drawer as if searching for something. She moved the dental floss, destiny dice, blank catalog cards, a tape measure, her father's medals, the two dead watches, and finally picked out a bottle of ink and the Waterman 1897 eyedropper fountain pen that Will had given her to make up for the fight they'd had about the laundry. The dog waited politely. Well, she unscrewed the lid of the ink bottle. It's called the last president, said Baskerville. I'm afraid I don't know the author. Rain felt the blood drain from her face. The last president had been Will's working title for the book, just before he had started calling it the great American novel. She dipped the nib of the fountain pen into the ink bottle, pulled the filling lever, and then wiped the nib on a tissue. Never heard of it, she said, as she wrote last prez, question mark, question mark, in her day book. She glanced over at Will and caught him squirming on his chair. He looked as if his pockets were full of crickets. Fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. She wrote that down. Short stories or a novel? I'm not sure. A novel, I think. The shop bell tinkled as Mrs. Snopes cracked the door. She hesitated when she bumped one of the terriers. Is something wrong, she said, not taking her hand away from the handle. Right as nails, said Fast Eddie. Come in, Helen. Good to see you. These folks are here for rain. The big one is uh, Mr. Baskerville, and I'm sorry I didn't catch your names. He gave the terriers a welcoming smile. Fast Eddie had become the friendliest man in nowhere ever since his wife had stepped off the edge of town and disappeared. Spot, said one. Rover, said the other. Folks, muttered Mrs. Snopes, dogs is what I call them. She inhaled, twisted her torso, and squeezed between the two terriers. Mrs. Snopes was very limber. She taught swing yoga at the town hall Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights from 6 to 7.30. I've got a taste for some crumbs of your banana oatmeal bar, she said. That last one laid me out for the better part of an afternoon. How they're breaking today, Eddie? Let's just see. He set a tray on top of the display and pulled on a glove to sort through the broken cookies. You are Lorraine Carraway said Baskerville. That's her name, you bet, Will broke in impulsively. But she hates it. He crumpled the loose-leaf page he had been writing on, tossed it at the trash can, and missed. Call her Rain. 
Rain bristled. She didn't hate her name. She just didn't believe in it. And you are, said the bloodhound. His lips curled away from pointed teeth and black gums in a grotesque parody of a smile. Willie Werther, but everyone calls me Will. I see you are supplied with pencil and paper, young Will. Are you a writer? Me? Oh, no, no, he feigned a yawn. Well, sort of. For a moment, Rain was certain he was going to blurt out that he was the author of The Last President. She wasn't sure why she thought that would be a bad idea, but she did. I, uh... Now that Will had Baskerville's attention, he didn't seem to know what to do with it. I've been trying to remember jokes for Eddie to tell at church, he said. Want to hear one? Fast Eddie and Mrs. Snopes glanced up from their cookie deliberations. <laughs> okay, then. How do you keep your dog from digging in the garden? I don't know, Will. Rain just wanted him to shut up. How? <laughs> Take away his shovel. Will looked from Baskerville to Rain and then to Fast Eddie. No? No, Eddie, who had just become deacon in the Temple of the Eternal Smile, shook his head. God likes her jokes to be funny. Funny, Will nodded. Got it. So what's this book about, Mr. B? Well, I just don't know, said the bloodhound. That's why I like to read it. Baskerville turned and yipped over his shoulder. Rover trotted to him, and the bloodhound dropped onto all fours. Rain couldn't see what passed between them because the desk blocked her view. But when Baskerville heaved himself upright again, he was holding a brass dog whistle in his paw. He dropped it, clattering, on the desktop in front of Rain. When you find the book, Rain, said Baskerville, give us a call. Rain didn't like it that Baskerville just assumed that she would take on the search. Wait a minute, she said. Why do you need me to look for it? You're a part of the Cognosphere, right? You already know everything. We have access to everything, said Baskerville. Retrieval is another matter, he growled at Spot. The shop bell tinkled as he opened the door. I look forward to hearing from you, Rain. Well, it was a pleasure to meet you. The bloodhound nodded at Fast Eddie and Mrs. Snopes, but they paid him no attention. Their heads were bent over the tray of crumbs. Baskerville left the shop, claws clicking against the gray linoleum. The terriers followed him out. Nice dogs, Will affected an unconcerned saunter as he crossed the room, although he flew the last few steps. My book rain, he whispered, his voice thick. With what? Fear? Pride? Is it? Rain had yet to read a word of the great American novel. Will claimed it was too rough to show. Although she could imagine that this might be true, she couldn't help but resent being shut out. She offered him the whistle. So call them. What are you saying? He shrank back, as if mere proximity to the whistle might shrivel his soul. They're from... He pointed through the window toward the precipitous edge of the mesa on which nowhere perched. Out there! 
Nobody knew where the cognosphere was located exactly, or even if it occupied physical space at all. All right, then, don't, Rain shrugged and pocketed the whistle. Will seemed disappointed in her. He obviously had three hundred things he wanted to say, and she was supposed to listen. He had always been an excitable boy, although Rain hadn't seen him this wound up since the first time they had made love. But this was neither the time nor the place for feverish speculation. She put a finger to her lips and nodded toward the cookie counter. Mrs. Snopes picked out a four-gram elongated piece of banana oatmeal cookie ornamented with cream and cinnamon hallucinogenic sprinkles. She paid for it with the story of how her sister Melva had run away from home when she was eleven, and they had found her two days later sleeping in the neighbor's treehouse. They had heard the story before, but not the part about the hairdryer. Fast Eddie earned an audience credit on the Barrow's memory exchange, but the Cognosphere deposited an extra quarter point into Mrs. Snopes' account for the new detail, according to the Laughing Cookie's Memex register. Afterward, Fast Eddie insisted that Rain admire the banana oatmeal crumb before he wrapped it up for Mrs. Snopes. Rain had to agree it was quite striking. She said it reminded her of Emily Dickinson. They closed the very memorial library early. Usually after work, Will and Rain swept some of Eddie's cookie dust into a baggie and went looking for a spot to picnic. Their favorites were the overlook at the southwestern edge of town and the roof of the button factory, although on a hot day they also liked the mossy coolness of the abandoned fallout shelter. But not this unhappy day. Almost as soon as they stepped onto Onion Street, they were fighting. First she suggested that Will show her his book. Then he said, not yet, and asked if she had any idea why the dogs were asking about it. Then she said no, perhaps a jot too emphatically, because he apparently understood her to be puzzled as to why the dogs should care about a nobody like him. Then he wondered aloud if maybe she wasn't just a little jealous, which she said was a dumb thing to say, which he took exactly the wrong way. Will informed her icily that he was going home because he needed to make changes to Chapter 4. Alarmed at how their row had escalated, Rain suggested that maybe they could meet later. He just shrugged and turned away. Stung, she watched him jog down Onion Street. Later? Maybe. Being together with Will had never sounded so contingent. Rain decided to blame the dogs. It was hard enough staying sane here and nowhere, finding the courage each day not to step off the edge. They didn't need yet another cancerous mystery eating at their lives. And Will was just a kid, she reminded herself. Nineteen, male, impulsive, too smart for his own good, but years from being wise. Of course he was entitled to his moods. She'd always waited him out before, because even though he made her toes curl in frustration sometimes, she did love the boy. In the meantime, there was no way around it. She'd have to ask Chance Conrad about the last president. She took a right onto Abbey Road, nodding curtly at the passers-by. She knew what most people thought about her, 
that she was impatient and bitter, and that she preferred books to people. Of course, they were all wrong, but she had given up trying to explain herself. She ignored Bingo Finn, slouching in the entrance to Goryo's Pachinko Palazzo, and hurried past Linton's Fruit and Daily Spectator, the print building, and the drunks at the outdoor tables in front of the sunspot. She noticed with annoyance that the Drew Barrymore version of The Wizard of Oz was playing for another week at the Zigfowl Feelys. At Uncle Buddy's she took a right, then a left onto Fairview, which dead-ended in the grassy bulk of the barrow. Everything in nowhere had come out of the barrow. Rain's fountain pen, the books in the very memorial library, Will's endless packs of blank, loose-leaf paper, Fast Eddie's crystal trays, and Mrs. Snopes's yoga mats. And, of course, all the people. The last thing Rain remembered about the world was falling asleep in her husband Roger's arms. It had been a warm night in May 2009. Roger had worked late, so they had ordered a sausage and green pepper pizza and had watched the last half hour of the African Queen before they went to bed. It was so romantic, even if Nicholson and Garbo were old. She could remember Roger doing his atrocious Nicholson imitation while he brushed his teeth. They had cuddled briefly in the dark, but he said he was too tired to make love. They must have kissed goodnight. Yes, no doubt a long and tender last kiss. One of the things she hated most about Nowhere was that she couldn't remember any of Roger's kisses, or his face, or what he looked like naked. He was just a warm, pale, friendly blur. Some people in Nowhere said it was a mercy that nobody could remember the ones they had loved in the world. Rain was not one of those people. Will said that the last thing he remembered was falling asleep in his Nintendo and American Culture class at Northern Arizona University in the fall of 2023. He could recall everything about the two sexual conquests he had managed in his brief time in the world, Tolly Lauderhand and Paula Herbst, but then, by his own admission, he had never really been in love. And we'll leave it there. You have been listening to The Edge of Nowhere, which first appeared in Asimov's in June of 2005. I'm traveling for the next few weeks, so I might see some of you in person at the Stone Coast Creative Writing MFA Program's Summer Residency in Freeport, Maine, from July 6th to 11th, or at ReaderCon, the very best science fiction convention, in my opinion, which takes place in Burlington, Massachusetts, July 12th to the 15th. But if I don't see you there, do click back here next week for more Nowhere on the Free Reads podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Free Reads. And we'll leave it there. You have been listening to The Edge of Nowhere, which first appeared in Asimov's in June of 2005. I'm traveling for the next few weeks, so I might see some of you in person at the Stone Coast Creative Writing MFA Program's Summer Residency in Freeport, Maine, from July 6th to 11th, or at ReaderCon, 
the very best science fiction convention, in my opinion, which takes place in Burlington, Massachusetts, July 12th to the 15th. But if I don't see you there, do click back here next week for more Nowhere on the Free Reads Podcast. 